0: Welcome, my lords, to the White City, where you will learn more about Middle-earth and discover differences and similarities between the Rings of Power show and Tolkien's books, and whether Amazon's show, episode by episode, is worth watching. I'm Philip Dutt, your host, and I'll be joined by Matt Vandevort and Mark Schaefer. I hope you enjoy Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the White City. And for our uh, eighth and final episode for season one, along with the eighth and final episode for the Rings of Power, uh, I'm here with Matt and uh, Mark again. How's it going? Yep. So it's a pretty cool episode. It wrapped together, you know, some things that everybody's been anticipating for a while, which I think Amazon has done a really good job of keeping everybody, you know, wondering who Sauron is. Especially, should we start by we... our
1: reactions to how things yeah. are on? Maybe. Oh yeah, we can do that. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's First good. of all, I'd like to say congratulations to Matt for being
0: right <laughs> from our Thank last you. episode.
2: I mean, to be fair, I gave three answers and one of them was right. <laughs> but yeah,
0: no, but it's, no, that's still it's cool. Yeah, it seemed like the logical way for them to go, even though it didn't seem like he was maybe not always the the right fit in a lot I... of ways. But he did a good job. It was like a good job of making the character seem like he was tricking everybody the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I think
2: there were enough threads throughout it that I'm satisfied with him being Sauron. I will also admit that the entire time we were watching up until literally the moment that he admitted he was Sauron, I was like, I don't know. I think it might be a red (laughs) herring. So, but uh, yeah, yeah.
0: they played that up really well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, my, my general reasons for thinking that Sauron wasn't hop-on was, like, he saved Galadriel and he sort of seemed like he just wanted to be a smith on Numenor. Though that might have been a fake-out, it sort of seemed like it It was mostly to the camera that he was showing, like, an uh, agony of decision and not to yeah. characters. Um, but I think, I guess, uh, over time, the more I think about it, the more I've, like, sort of come to peace with it, that, like, it sort of does seem like he's the anti-Galadriel uh, in some ways, which is eventually the place that Sauron will take. And sort of it's interesting to see that him and Galadriel at this point are sort of like both on sort of their own journeys and meeting at a certain point and now they're gonna diverge in, yeah. in their own separate yeah. ways, I think. So. so
0: I guess like having Galadriel kind of a key, you know, um like main character in the series then fits for her being kind of the the anti Sauron, so to speak. I
2: don't, I don't know I don't know if I necessarily agree with I mean yes and no with the idea that Galadriel specifically is the anti-Sauron because I think that like you can make the argument that uh Galadriel could be the anti-Sauron as she is arguably one of like maybe two characters in Middle-earth during the time of Lord of the Rings that could like even challenge Sauron one on one um But I think you, like, I don't know if I would call her the epitome of the anti-Sauron. Because, again, like, in The Lord of the Rings, she takes a very hands-off role. She never sort of directly supports the, like, directly challenges Sauron. She's all involved in stuff up north against his servants. I think if any character in The Lord of the Rings is the anti-Sauron, it's... Narrative, narratively, I think it makes more sense to call Aragorn the anti-Sauron, but I don't really know if there is a particular character that Tolkien was setting up as like, oh, this is Sauron but good, or this is the opposite. This is his
1: his uh, sort of uh, foil. I guess. I, it feels like we're transitioning to a conversation about Galadriel, which is definitely one yeah. that I feel like we've talked a lot about on the show, yeah, and yeah, probably yeah. we'll talk about more this episode. Shocker, we've spent a
2: lot of time talking about the being, main character. yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The reason yeah. I
1: said that she's the anti especially in the War of the Ring, is that I mean she's literally described as the Lady of Light, and he's the Dark Lord, so yeah. there's play this parallel between light and darkness. Also, that whenever, if she ever takes the ring, you know, she says <laughs> in place of a Dark Lord, you have a queen, so she's sort of on an equal power level. Um, and while you're right that sh- she doesn't take an active role in the War of the Ring, he doesn't really either. He's sort of in the background yeah. as well, manipulating people. That's true. But um, I, I still
2: feel like that particular aspect is filled more with Gandalf, who you could also argue because um again, like uh I think Gandalf is offered the ring briefly at one point. And, and the, he kind of has his, of the, the he camp. kind of has a similar reaction to Galadriel, just less theatric. Um so you could you could almost argue that the anti-Sauron would be a combination of Elrond and Galadriel and Gandalf because they're the white council, yeah, they're the know. white council, but they're also the three ring bearers mm-hmm. and they are sort of the elven rings sort of in a sense, um, function as the anti one ring. Like, first of all, it's not one ring. Um, secondly, the three of them, even though they're still subordinate to the one ring are kind of the only rings that can really resist the power of the one ring. So like, yeah, I I don't really, I don't personally, I don't really think that there is a particular character that fits the, that fits as like, I like the anti Sauron in that sense. Um, And I don't even know if necessarily um, Tolkien would have created an anti Sauron, I Because I think, in my mind at least, Sauron, like an anti-Sauron, would be somebody who is sort of doing what Sauron is doing, but good. <laughs> and the I don't <laughs> think that in Tolkien, Tolkien's worldview, the goals and even like the means of how Sauron is doing what he is doing
1: are even worth trying to do in a quote-unquote good way. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you're totally right that, like, Gandalf is known as the greatest enemy of Sauron. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is, like, Sauron is the epitome of evil in the series. And Galadriel is the epitome of good. You know, Gandalf and other characters are good, but she's, like, the epitome of it. She's, like, the, like, the pure platonic ideal. And also, I think there is this, like, analogy where... Eventually she is. <laughs> uh, yes. And Sauron also, like, is... About destruction and control, whereas Galadriel is about preservation yeah. and also about okay. releasing control. Um, yeah. So that's like you're okay. right that like there's not see where like a exact, from. and that other characters sort of fit that role. But um, yeah. Um, but that's enough about Galadriel in the
0: Lord, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. the Rings. Should we talk more about her in the show, or do you have another question, Phil? Um, not really. So, for the most part, we just see the Harfoots and the Elves and Hallbrand. Um, which, um, with the Harfoots, it was cool to see, I mean, cause, like even up until like almost like the very last minute, like I was even tricked. I was like, yeah, like, I thought the stranger was going to be sorry and I got yeah, it right. And then it's yeah. like, wait a second, I, turn I mean, around. I and, uh, yeah, so it was, I mean, they did a good job of keeping people excited, but yeah, I was very happy that it was, he's a wizard. Yeah. I mean, that was, yeah. yeah, yeah. It can again. It made sense. It made logical sense. Um, so it's I, cool they pulled that together. Yeah, I
2: will admit. I think <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, I really liked Halbrand as a character, which I think was a large part of the reason why the whole episode was like, no, there's no way he's Sauron, um, because I didn't want him to be Sauron, even though I was pretty sure he was Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when they said the the stranger was Sauron i i did kind of i did believe it at first but i do like I like the way they resolved it better um i i think the interesting question is which wizard mm-hmm um so something we don't know yet yeah, so yeah, yeah. Right. If, if we had to put a gun to your head and ask you which wizard it is
1: yeah it's really hard because it's like we don't So the the thing is, like, with the wizards we do know are that, like, are so different from each other. And so the fact that this one sounds and seems and has said things that sound so much like Gandalf is, like, if all the wizards are this different from each other, then this is probably Gandalf. But I personally am hoping, like, you guys said that it is a blue wizard. Yeah,
2: I think it's a blue wizard. I think something you just said kind of made me think of a reason why I don't think it – I think the way he's acting doesn't necessarily mean it has to be Gandalf is – that um, Tolkien wrote at different points you could make arguments that either all of the wizards succeeded except for Saruman or that all of the wizards failed except for Gandalf and if you go with that second interpretation or an interpretation that's sort of like well at least Radagast and Saruman failed um, then you could read it as when they all first get there they are more like Gandalf because at that point, they are all definitely still hmm. Hmm. following their mission.
1: That's actually now,
2: a great way of saying and it. And right? so the differences of personality we see in Radagast and Saruman come about from their experiences in the world or the fact that they have failed in their mission. If you choose to go with that interpretation, I personally, I do maybe this is just me being a little bit more optimistic and idealist, but I don't like the interpretation that they all failed. Um, I kind of like the idea. Like, I like the, the theory that Radagast, his whole mission was to look over the, the beasts and the animals and the forests and things like that, because he was a Maya of, um, the nature of Yavanna. Yavanna. Yeah. Um, and then we have no idea what the blue wizards are like. Um, one kind of take on it that I like that I don't think is really ever supported by anything Tolkien wrote but also since we don't have anything definitive from like past Mordor I kind of this is my own sort of personal headcanon is I like the idea that one of the blue wizards succeeded and the other ones the Hmm. other one failed and so that when you have um, at, at the time you kind of have a mirror of what's going on over in uh, the west where you have sort of Gandalf versus Saruman-ish for a while and that I kind of like the idea that over in the east one of the wizards does succumb to Sauron and does become like one of his chief uh lieutenants over there and so like while the war because Tolkien kind of implies that there's also a conflict going on in the east in the same time mm-hmm. yeah. and that I think he right at one point he wrote <clears throat> that if it wasn't for the Blue Wizards, that the West basically would have lost <laughs> because they, kept, help, uh, they help lead rebellions and they help mm-hmm. prevent Sauron's armies from being everybody in the East. And so I kind of like the idea... Um, again, this kind of goes against that because he does write that like the Blue Wizards helped. But I do sort of like the idea that back East, there's this other conflict that's part of the whole War of the Ring that we don't know about that is... The blue wizards sort of duking it out. um Again, that is just my theory and my personal sort
1: of yeah. like, mm-hmm. this I would be it. fun. But your point is exactly that. I think Tolkien writes like, all, all the wizards start out opposing Sauron, but like Gandalf is the one who like sticks it through. Yeah. So, like, maybe all of them starting off were a lot like Gandalf, and Gandalf is just still the one who sort of kept his love for all the peoples of Middle earth and his like commitment to do good and travel the world as well. Whereas Saruman and Radagast both take up positions and stop opposing Sauron. And they do...
2: Like, there are some differences. Like, (laughs) we know that uh, Saruman kind of had to be forced to take Radagast with him. (laughs) Because he always kind of thought that Radagast was kind of a bumbling idiot. Um, Yeah. And that Saruman himself was always a little bit proud. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think... So, I do think it's a blue wizard. Mostly because... uh, like, from an out-of-world, like, directing a show perspective, if I was in the position of the showrunners, I would totally go with the Blue Wizard, because all we know for certain is that there are two Blue Wizards, and we don't know anything about their personality, so we can just create this character yeah, yeah. um, and use him for whatever purposes we like.
0: And, like... It'll be the, interesting to see like if the other blue wizard shows up. Yeah. If it be would be that way. Is your also, guess also a blue wizard, Phil? You haven't made said your guess. I guess i no. a blue <laughs> wizard, he doesn't know. <laughs> I again, with the logical conclusion that they went out east and he's going to rune, it would only make sense that he is most likely a blue wizard, with also it being the second age.
1: Yeah. Yes. I can. will say it's this interesting idea of like there's this trade off for the show creators of like if we make it Gandalf, we get this like nostalgia of like right, the starting of Gandalf. But if we like make it a blue wizard, we can write sort of anything we want. So which it's sort is, of like this uh, interesting... Which is why right them. now they have not confirmed who it is. Ah, so they get a bit of both. They sound very
2: Gandalf-like so that they can play up the like, good Oh, point. guys, look, well, it's like Gandalf. Well, and then the at the end, oh, it's our own character. as
0: well is that... Gandalf in the movies, has as gray, he has this kind of raggedy robe, mm-hmm. gray yeah. raggedy robe, and I mean, just saying, it's like, smart, trying to play it up, green, they're putting it, yeah. they're kind of putting the same kind of, like, you know, robe on yeah. this guy. Yeah, yeah. I, um,
2: The other option, again, the Blue Wizards, in, there is a lot of textual evidence from Tolkien's writings to say that the Blue Wizards showed up around the year 1600 of the Second Age, which I don't know which year we're in in the show well it's interesting
1: um, too because in the show that or in sorry in the books they show up with Saruman I think right the three of them show well, up together.
2: no Saruman and Gandalf's and well no Radagast and Saruman I think show, show up together. together okay because right. it's it's yeah it's implied that the um that actually no maybe you're right
1: We'll have no. to look that up for next time. For okay. season two, Actually, people, I'll
2: might, we'll be back with that. We might be thinking of two different things that he wrote. Because I think at one point he wrote that the two blue wizards and, and Saruman changed it later. showed up together. And later or earlier, he had written that the two wizards show up earlier. Because he does. there is some evidence where he talks about Saruman and the blue wizards go off into the east. And only Saruman comes back. Mm-hmm, yeah, But then also that wouldn't really work if Saruman shows up like fifteen hundred years later or something like that. So I think it's a blue wizard. Um which is cool because I've always liked the concept of a blue wizard, so I'm yeah, kinda yeah. glad to actually get to see them for once. Yeah. Um, so uh Yeah.
1: What I really want to talk about is I believe my guess last time was that it would be Sauron would be one of the White clad, I believe mm-hmm. the what were their names like the Herald or something or the, the Hermit, the Mystic the or something,
2: Ascetic and the
1: Mystic. Uh, I think was the third one maybe or Mystic
0: no? or the. And we are the like here to serve you, Lord. Or something.
1: Sauron. Yeah, like I don't know who they are or what they came from, but like they seem to be pretty powerful magic users. I don't know. I was sort of felt like a little gypped It's like oh who we don't know who these people are, we're just going to, like, throw them in there and then have them be, like, fodder for a Yeah. For, I mean, for the wizard or whatever. They're Sauron so, cultists. Yes, which, but, like, like how they get so powerful? And they were, well, like, they were an unseen world at the end. Did you see that as, like, he well, was, like, destroying them? They're, okay, like, the...
2: the unseen world is a concept. It's the... um I was reading something about this recently where, like, you have the wraith world, which is a part of the unseen world, but, like, the unseen world is, like, where magic comes from. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think this is in a *Nerd of the Rings* video where he's uh, talking about it, where, like, so the the idea of the unseen world, which is where you go when you put on the ring. Mm-hmm. So, like, that is definitely a concept.
1: Um, but that, I guess like my yeah. point was that like elves who have been to Valinor, and like anyone's been to Valinor as part of the unseen world, and like other Maiar, Istari, but like yeah many people just don't like, oh, we're just going to like become part of the Unseen World by, like, saying a little magic spell. Well, it's made pretty clear that the nine Nazgul were powerful wizards before, wizards but then they eventually fade into the yeah, Unseen they World. Fade the world. Um, I don't think... Well, okay. So,
2: no, here's the thing. You can get pretty quickly engulfed in the Unseen World with, like, Morgul Blades. That's true, I and guess. So so there's other hypothetically, to, uh, hypothetically, the Morgul Blades aren't, like... Maybe Sauron crafted them with that power, but conceivably the power to enter and be subsumed by the Unseen World exists for somebody to have put into the Morgul Blades. So I think that is definitely a – I think that definitely works.
1: Yeah, that's fair. There might be other ways. I, I mean, still feel like, to throw characters in, I just I feel a little cheated, but maybe that's just I'm a little salty about not getting my guess right. So,
2: <laughs> I mean, like another thing, this isn't a permanent thing, but like you can enter the Unseen World pretty quick if you put on the One Ring. No, that's like, true. That works pretty well. And you
1: could even say that the Nine were a part of the Unseen World, even if they eventually faded completely into it. Yeah, yeah. So, I do um, like
2: but. the description, this is another tangent, but I do like the description of the Nazgul as literally just... Like, their spirits, and they wear their cloaks and stuff, like, partially to be scary, but also partially because that is the only way people will know shaped, where they yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> so it's literally just, like, a bed sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of funny. <laughs> the Nazgul. If you think about it, they're just really scary versions of Halloween ghosts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, do we want to talk more about
0: Habren being Sauron? <laughs> um, I mean, we can... Um, I mean, it's also hard not to talk about like Galadriel. That's true. In some of this as yeah. well, and you know, it's one thing I found interesting. I thought was when like Elrond goes and talks to like Gilgalad like one last time as he's leaving i can't remember what he said to convince him we were making some... too many jokes but he said like, <laughs> yeah. you
1: owe me this much and he's like i don't owe you anything or something like that so like let us tr-. he basically i think i he got it he... he quotes gil gallad's words back to him yeah. he said he said even when it is
0: meager hope hope is not meager yeah. or something like yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. um that's it that was like the first episode or something yeah yeah was it
1: I think so, maybe. Or maybe yeah. it was off screen. That is but, actually, that's a, that's a good it line. It is a good line. Feels yeah.
0: very Tolkien esque. Yeah. So. Yeah. They did a good job on that one. So yeah.
2: he, uh, yeah, so he quits the things back to him. They craft the three rings, mm-hmm. which, again, they're taking things slightly out of order, unless, well, actually, they wouldn't have done this already. So um, they're taking things slightly out of order in that they're saying that the first rings to be crafted were the three rings because they did it in a very clever way, in that. They do use Sauron's designs to do it. Mm hmm. Yeah. They, um, but he is not directly involved in the crafting of the rings. He knows about two of them, but they changed the designs later to have three. Yeah. That was which really interesting. I thought that was a pretty clever way of, like, okay, we're trying, because obviously they're trying to shorten the timeline because just for show reasons. Um, And so if you're going to do that, I think they handled the crafting of the rings in a a good way. Now, the one question I have is, now, the rest of the rings, they're going to use them because they used the ring poem in the the credits. So they're going to acknowledge that there are more than just the three rings and the one. Um, So they have to create the rest of the rings. At this point, my question is, are they going to have Sauron... Craft all of the rings by himself, which I think in a pre existing story is what makes the most sense. But in the Lord of the Rings, or not in a pre existing, in a purely original story makes the most sense. But in the Lord of the Rings, I don't know if that would make much sense. However,
1: in the books,
0: Sauron and them work together yeah, to in combine the, books, the rest of the seven and them. the nine rings. Yeah. Not the three rings, like seven. So, right. So. Yeah.
2: So my question is. Are the elves like the elves have done what they want. They have their rings to preserve the elven race. At least two of the three people who have who were involved in crafting the rings know or suspect that the guy who gave them the information for it is Sauron. Why on earth would they craft any
1: more rings? So this is actually, this is really interesting because I think in the books, both Elrond and Galadriel and Gil suspect Anatar of being Sauron. Well, they
2: suspect. Sauron, but, like, Galadriel. And...
1: never does, and he always trusts him until
2: That's the end. That's true. So, and Calibrimbor, so at this they point, could, has no suspicions. They
1: could have
2: Calibrimbor make them behind the, of the other. That is true. That's interesting the because when Elrond
0: comes in, he holds the scroll knowing but I don't think he ever says anything. I think not at
2: least suspecting. I don't know if he knows. For okay. And so Galadriel yeah. like
1: told them, right? You don't have to do anything more with him, but maybe Celebrimbor is like, wow, these rings turned the, out so good. I'm not going to listen to Galadriel. Like yeah. why do I care about her? Yeah. The yeah. one thing
2: true. that does, I'd say it throws a wrench in these plant, in this theory, but also it's Celebrimbor, who was the grandson of Feanor, who is not known for being the smartest. He's known for being the being smartest proud. guy, but he's also known for not being the smartest guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I really do like the idea of Celebrimbor seeing Elrond and Galadriel having these really concerned looks and having this, like, very threatening-sounding conversation and just being
0: like, well, that was weird. How
2: am they go make more rings.
1: With this anatar
0: dude, yeah. 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 So- it, is, it is kind of... I wish... Th- Thinking back on it, that they would have brought up Anatar, they would have yeah. been like, "Hey, Paul, yeah. you, know, you know, it's a,
1: you know, consider it a gift." Him, consider it a gift. So maybe he'll come back, and they'll be Anna He'll be Anatar then. Yeah. Um, um. It's really interesting that like, yeah, <gasps> in the books, it made it sound like they thought that they thought that Anatar was some sort of like maybe Maya or some some other character. Yeah. And not just like a low man that they would be very suspicious of anybody so, who's like, "Oh, I'm just a normal mortal dude who's gonna like." Idea? Know all this stuff about Elven technology. Yeah, yeah. Here's my idea. So that's sort of interesting to me, but what's your idea? Okay.
2: Next season, Halbrand, or well, Sauron, changes his form into Anatar. Mm. And he comes back to Celebrimbor. And. says, so my buddy it, Halbrand it, said. No, 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 not even that. He introduces himself as Anatar, which means Lord of Gifts, kind of signaling to Celebrimbor, like hey, I know your friends don't trust me, but I'm the same guy because he very pointedly said, consider it a gift. So he comes back, works with Celebrimbor to make the rest of the rings under the noses of Galadriel and Elrond. They both suspect him, but aren't sure if it's actually Sauron or not. And for whatever reason, they can't do something about it. Celebrimbor will know, but Celebrimbor importantly, doesn't know that Halbrand is Sauron. So he knows that he's Halbrand, and he might start to be like, "Oh wow, this guy's wow, this guy's way better than I yeah. thought he was. He's yeah, just, like yeah. super magically powerful." And that's how they work it in. That's my theory about it.
1: Yeah, that'd, that'd be really interesting
0: about Kilbrombor. Um, cause I mean, no spoiler or anything, but he does eventually get killed by Sauron, right? Uh,
1: yeah. He first tortured to death, and then I believe yes. he's like beheaded and. All right. Stuck on some sort of pole or something. So everybody can that they killed but he's him. Not, so guess, he's not
0: dead. some like dingy guy that can't do much, is he? Like he's like more of a powerful figure, I feel like, he's, in a lot of ways than they're showing in the, fo- he's in the show so far.
2: Mostly known for being a craftsman, which I one of the things, one of the lines huh. when Halbrand said something to Calbrimbor that kinda piqued my ears that made me think maybe he is Sauron is He says, "My mentor spoke a lot of you, and it doesn't line up Mm -hmm. perfectly because it would have been a little bit more interesting. Like the he spoke of the House of Fëanor and his great crafting because Morgoth like." The whole reason the Silmarillion exists is because Morgoth wants the Silmarils that Feanor crafted.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to go with like his mentor, Aule, spoke a lot of him. Because well, Aule and Feanor were like sort of best buddies. The and one thing about Feanor, that
2: is but. that uh, Aule was not Sauron's mentor. Because Sauron... the There's like a whole war between um, Morgoth and his forces... And the Valar, way before the elves throw up, because remember, oh, the no. first place they go is not Valinor.
1: That's 1st the, the Valar live is you're that right. island
2: with the lamps, and then Morgoth destroys those. So I so, thought
1: when when Morgoth was captured, came back to the land of the trees, and then ends up leaving, destroying mm-hmm. the trees. He takes more Maya with him at that yes, point.
2: Yes, but Sauron has like always been
1: his number. Sauron was always his number. Yeah. Sounds good. So, you're, you're right.
2: Morgoth, he took. Well, actually, I don't even know if he took more with him when he left after destroying the trees. He may have taken some, but, like, Morgoth...
1: Already had Balrogs already waiting for had him Balrogs, in Middle-earth, yeah. Already You're had right.
2: Sauron. So, yeah, so, Sauron, as far as we know, Sauron has never been to Valinor. Um, anyways, so, all this to say, I don't think that it, the timeline works out with that. I think he's talking about Morgoth, um, because, presumably... Well, yeah, Celebrimbor was in Beleriand because his father was one of the sons of fan or yeah, uh, I think it started uh, with a C Curufin or something. Curufin. I think it is Curifin or Curifin's like whichever one is yeah. usually associated with Curifin. So presumably Morgoth would have been somewhat familiar with these Elven Smiths that were getting really famous. And yeah, so makes sense. I, uh, that particular, uh, and, of course, all everything he's saying, like, man, I never imagined I would have been here, like, kind of duplicitously being, like, yeah, who would have thought that, you know, the greatest enemy of the elves
1: would be standing in his forge? Dude, though, when, when Sauron, a.k.a. Hoprand or whatever, says the line, like... I was there before the first sound was ever made or something. Dude, that was
0: awesome. I was that there, was uh, very bro. cool. That was uh, the 3,000. Years scouting. ago. This is even older than <laughs> yeah. 3,000. Like, yeah. there. when he the said that, night. that was the telling. Like, like, that was the telling because
2: line. Before, like, to me, the idea of before the first sound, I think that's a very important, in Tolkien's mythology, it's a very pointed reference to the music of the Einar. Yeah, for sure. Which, as a Maya, he's an Einar, so he would have been there before the first mm-hmm. s- note of the s- Music of the Einer, so like I think that's what he was getting at at that point is just like I am older than the world. I helped create the world, and then I helped destroy, like screw up the world. Yeah. <laughs> and I liked I liked the shot of them on the raft where you see the reflection of yeah. like their true forms, and it's for that brief moment you see the spikes. It's just like ah, it's Sauron.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. Um. I was gonna talk about some of the things i didn't like about the episode is that okay
0: or do we have any more stuff to talk about um i mean not really i was trying to think of anything that that we missed in the show but like it was pretty easy for the gen we got the general gist of it i guess Yeah, yeah yeah we
2: got no uh
0: isildur he's still dead isildur still gone
2: we have no idea what's going on with Arondir and, uh, Breowin, Bronwyn. Bronwyn, Bronwyn and Theo, which I love the fact that their
1: names are Arondir and Brawin and the, Teddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um yeah. the parts, I really like the parts of like the very brief glimpses we get of Numenor in the episode yeah. and Ellen Dill and Queen Muriel on the ships was also very good of like what it, and I thought that was like, I don't know, very Tolkienesque of like what it means to follow good, right? Like, um, doing the right thing always costs people and yeah. tokens like, it like costs Frodo a lot, it costs everybody a lot to follow the right path and this is like them sort of coming to terms with that and like what it means to be good is to follow the good no matter the cost, right? Yeah. Um, was I thought a great line. Um, yeah. So the things I didn't like, if I may start on that, um, yeah. I didn't like how the wizard or the stranger needed this like pep talk from a hobbit to like be convinced that he's good. The story were sort of sent to Middle Earth to do the right thing, and as they fell away from that, but sort of was like, Wow, would he have like turned evil from right off the bat? Um, I don't know, that seemed very weird to me, and sort of just uh, something, <laughs> maybe it seems like something they, they wanted for the show and not really because it fit with Tolkien's world or mythology very I well. I mean, to be fair, also in in the
2: books and in the stories, they arrive on ships knowing yeah. like full well their mission, so they're changing that definitely, mm-hmm. Whereas it's just like. I think the angle they're taking on it here is because, like, the Astari are not supposed to openly oppose Sauron. They're there to guide people, but they're, like, explicitly forbidden from using their full power to oppose Sauron. Yeah, that's So I, I think the angle they're taking in the show is just that they go a step further and, like, limit their power to such an extent that they don't realize how much power they have at first so that they don't, you know, show up and immediately start being like, "All right, I'm going to found my wizard kingdom and we're going to go fight
0: Sauron." Yeah, it's interesting. They weren't. They were told not to use their full power. So basically. Yeah. Yeah. this is
1: really interesting because the way Morgoth was defeated was by the Valar. Literally, came themselves yes. and did it. Um, but this is like they want the people of Middle Earth to make their own choices, and we yes. don't want to choose for them. So the closest, actually, Gandalf. I believe this is slightly revoked because Gandalf, and when he comes back as the White. Uh, directly contest Sauron spiritually over a great distance to try to save Frodo when Frodo puts on the ring at some point. Um, and Sauron would have found him except Gandalf was sort of protecting him in that way. But um, yeah, they never like physically attack Sauron. They didn't just want them to like oh, all they started to go up and show up and beat up Sauron. They would yeah. like, it needs to be the middle- people of Middle Earth that do it. So.
2: Because again, like if they had wanted, if the mission was to defeat Sauron just through brute force, sending five Maiar over like Sauron is more powerful than your average Maiar, sure, but like you send five of them over there, they so could he, have put the he's gonna on. have a bad job Dude, yeah, sweet so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't necessarily agree with the direction they're taking with his arrival and stuff, but I I can understand it from a story perspective as to why they're doing it this way
1: yeah, it worked in the show, it just didn't really feel uh, it doesn't fit with Tolkien's sort of description of the um, historian the with yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. for the books. Yeah, 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 um, The other thing I was going to mention is that there's this line whenever Sauron, a.k.a. Hobrand or whoever was talking to Gladriel when he says, like, join me and we can save the world. We and she says... the
2: galaxy is father and son. Oh, wait. Right. Wrong, wrong franchise. <laughs> um,
1: but this is interesting because um, he says, we can save the world. And she's like, you mean rule it? And he says, is there a difference? Um, and in... Uh, Marvel shows or in movies there's this line about Iron Man and he says somebody says about him he can't tell the difference between saving the world and destroying it. Um, it. So I can't tell if this is like a good thing or a bad thing but it's just very interesting to me that this theme shows up in Marvel as well of like you know there's not really much of a difference between having like any power is sort of corrupt in and of itself. Oh well I um, mean well, no, that, that was sort of okay. It. Okay. I'm just sort of curious I, though, say, of I think
2: this is a a theme that shows up not just in fiction, but also in like real world political analysis and stuff of the eternal debate between of freedom versus safety. Like it's very difficult to have, like you can't have a completely free society that is also a completely safe society because by the very virtue of being a free society, you, you anyone can do whatever they want, which can include, harming other people and just taking what they want by force so this that particular theme i think they're showing the the typical like typically in fiction um it is portrayed as like um like it's better to focus on freedom than it is to a oppress people just for their own safety so Sauron is definitely going with the well the world got screwed up so I'm um, like uh, like what's the the line from Rogue One you are being rescued please do not resist <laughs> um, Like that's kind of the angle that Sauron is going with way. and Galadriel is kind of cutting through that and being like you talk a big game about like oh I just want to come and heal everything I've done but at, at his core he still wants to rule. He still wants to dominate, and he still wants to be the one that, like, even if he puts on a nice uh, a nice outfit and a nice coating and makes it all fancy, he's just, mm-hmm. like, at the end of the day, he's still doing it for himself, and he's still doing it because he wants to rule Middle-earth, which I think is the same reason, like, again, going back to Galadriel in The Lord of the Rings, where she... When she rejects the ring, she basically frames it as, um, yeah, I would take the ring. And then what I would do with the ring would amount to, like, she also would try to save the world Mm -hmm. by using the immense power of the ring to completely dominate the world. And she rejects that explicitly, which is what she does. Like, obviously, the conversation, like, there were some very strong parallels in this conversation with the conversation she has with frodo, with frodo. i would make you a queen yeah yeah Beautiful like and <laughs> <terrible>. <laughs> some pretty pretty <laughs> word for word stuff and so that's what it is i actually wanted to get to a another moment in that same conversation where um she he asks her to touch the darkness one more time and i think you've brought this up throughout the show that you've kind of wondered about this theme of to know the light, you have to touch the darkness.
1: And I think... By I you, th- he means Phil. By the yeah, way, yeah, since yeah, yeah, we yeah. can't see him point. What, what me? <laughs> oh, yeah. If you're not watching, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm pointing at Phil. Yes. This guy. <laughs> huh.
2: So, the idea of it, I think, and I, I think part of the reason you might have been questioning it is because on its own, it does seem kind of like maybe a little weird. But... When Sauron says, touch the darkness one more time, and Galadriel basically says no, like she doesn't, I don't think she actually explicitly says it, but like she rejects that thesis is because the idea of, to know the light, you must touch the darkness, is you must touch the darkness, and you must acknowledge and see what the darkness truly is, and and reject it. So, by quote-unquote touching the darkness one more time, he is... Sort basically saying embrace the darkness and uh, like submerge yourself and saturate yourself in the darkness. And she in that moment by because she has seen him like she sort of is touching the darkness in the sense of the original saying like she's confronting Sauron yeah. and recognizing that, oh, I have gotten through his fake light And seen his true inner heart of darkness. And I... Now I can see him for who he truly is. And that's what it means by... When I touch... touch, You must touch the darkness to see the light. Because if you remember at the very beginning, the whole conversation is... Well, if I'm under the water... Like, sometimes when you're submerged in the water or whatever, it's hard to tell where the light is truly coming from. And that's played out by Sauron. Who... Throughout when she was h- in
1: the water, she couldn't tell where the yeah, light was yeah, yeah. from.
2: Throughout yeah. the whole season, Halbrand has seemed like a pretty, more or less, a pretty stand-up guy. He's, you know, I've come back to save my people that aren't actually my people. Except maybe they are his people, because he, he, I mean, he is the king of the Southlands oh,
1: now. Oh, i oh. just, since we're on this topic, I was briefly going to mention, there was, like, this giveaway in, I think, the last episode that, like, whenever they're like, are you the king? And he's like, I am. yeah. And Aragorn, like, the parallel between him, like, Aragorn rejects that, right? And it's something that's later he, like, is put on by other people. And he humbly accepts, whereas this guy sort of steps in. And that was maybe a slight giveaway that I should have picked up on last episode. And another thing about
0: that scene is that the people are kind of chanting. It's kind of an odd scene that they're chanting. And it's like, no, it's almost like everybody's, like, not really feeling it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. So,
2: anyways, so in that, so, yeah, throughout this, he has seemed very much like a good light bringer kind of person whereas he really is actually darkness. Yeah. And I'd say darkness embodied. Darkness embodied is Morgoth, but you know, the next yeah. best next worst, worst thing. thing. <laughs> um, and yeah. again, it's also very like that whole idea is very much tied up in uh Tolkien's Catholicism and Christianity where like Satan is described as an angel of light mm-hmm. like the whole idea of things that are presenting themselves as good um aren't always the things that are good that is very that, so that's kind of why i never really had an issue with the yeah. idea of you must touch so no light you must touch the darkness is because i think that's very consistent with tolkien's worldview of just because something seems good does not mean it's good. It, if something looks too good to be true, it probably is. Or the uh, the concept. I think this shows up in some Star Wars books where evil is always too clean. Like, <laughs> um, um, yeah. Like you have this idea of that's
1: uh, in Tolkien's work. It's A- Aragorn. Uh, the enemy servants would look fair y- and yes, feel, foul, exactly. feel foul, or feel fouler, and Aragorn looks foul and feels fair. Yes. So that's, that's why in the fellowship shift. Yeah. Yep.
2: That's why I like. You kept bringing up the the darkness light thing, and it, it never really bothered me, just because I think yeah. that it is incredibly consistent with Tolkien's worldview, and I think that this episode especially embraces that and shows like, yeah, he seems like light. He seems like he's he seem he he comes in and basically presents himself, quote unquote, reluctantly as solving all of Galadriel's problems, and. It's because he has directly created himself yeah. to, like, presented himself in that way of, like, as soon as he knows, like, oh, she's looking to this, yeah, yeah, sure, I'm the, the king of the Southlands, like, all these things. And it's only when she breaks through all the facade and really sees the darkness in him that she can finally, it, it's that one moment of touching the darkness and breaking through the light that really shows her what she needs to do.
0: Yeah, it, so, starting off with the, kind of, the line kind of made me think is, at first that, oh, like, I mean, if you think of it as just, oh, you know, you have to, like, kind of, you don't really know what's right or wrong, so, like, you know, you just go into it and you don't really have that sense, and there is no sense to give you that there is anything right or wrong. So that's kind of like what I, going into the season, kind of felt like it was talking about. Um, But I think I can see it more your way, Matt, um, as it went on. And the other thing is that if you take it from a more of a, like, Touching the Darkness as being a set of trials that you're going through, then that is, that's also a different story. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think... Now that you said that in that way, I think that makes a lot more sense. I think the reason I was sort of hesitant with know the phrase is that it comes from, like, it's uh, Gladriel um, saying it. And, and I guess this is sort of maybe my point. And what you had sort of the, the, this line that you said about, like, um, that we have a choice between, like, freedom and uh, safety. And, like, um, yeah. And their line specifically is that, uh, what like, what's the difference between ruling the world and saving it? and sort of my idea is that like from christian uh, tolkien's christian world view, that like there are there's a power out there that's like gonna save us but not rule us right that will give us freedom at the same time yeah, yeah and yeah, there yeah. is a good out there that has is good without ever touching the darkness yes um and sort of i guess the reason i was sort of hesitant in the show is that gladriel and the the lord of the rings show sort of stands for that good you know she's a standing for the light and therefore she's sort of this good that does never touch the darkness and that in the Lord of the Rings books. That's the sort of the way she's portrayed. And this okay. show, they're taking like she's going through her own trials and stuff and sort of becoming who she's going to be eventually. I
2: don't know. I, again, um, I think the interpretation that she doesn't touch the darkness in the Lord of the Rings, I think the moment she's offered the ring, because I think she explicitly says afterwards that she has passed through the trial and been found worthy or whatever, like that is her, in this whole grand story, that's her last moment of sort of being confronted with it and proving that she can tell at this point
1: yeah i will say um if you read the books it's portrayed much less of uh like in the movies she's like has this moment she's like in place of a dog oh yeah, yeah, yeah and in the books it seems more like she doesn't really like rise as much she's just as like you know if you do that like bad things will happen yeah, and i'm yeah, gonna yeah. reject this it's much more subtle Again. um and like uh, yeah um. So I guess that was sort of why. Like, yes, you're right that she did have a trial, and therefore yeah. you can definitely say maybe she touch the darkness. So I
2: mean, I think the books definitely or the movies definitely made it more theatric, but I, I still feel like the 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 moment is there, and it still is. Again, I've always interpreted that interpreted that moment as that is her final, like that is the moment where she becomes worthy to return to Valinor. Oh yeah, that is the moment that she overcomes. The um, curse that's been placed
1: upon her and everything, all the well, way back in the film. I guess I was going to say is the way they made it seem the movie is like gladjal's is like hidden dark side that almost comes out and like oh, takes yeah. the ring, and that's not really there in the books. Like she, like you said, she wants to take the ring for good reasons, and maybe it would have worked better if it was like this is a vision of what she would have been if she had taken the ring and not like something that's already inside yeah. of her without the ring. I think, um, and <laughs> the Hobbit just like it was on this. And the Hobbit, like whenever she drives out Sauron, she uses that like dark form, so it's like sort of portrayed as like this powerful form that, and it's like not really I line, um. I
2: I don't know because I think that the idea is that there is not necessarily like a darkness inside her but there are aspects to her that are less than pure like um, arrogance and things like that mm-hmm. that can come out because um, if you remember the whole there's that moment when Sam considers taking the ring Um, he wants to make, he wants to make more garden. garden, I always like the idea of (laughs) the dark gardener, Sam, (laughs) 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 um, but it's that kind of idea that the ring can corrupt you to the extent that you are corruptible. And so it will take the parts of you that are good. And maybe even the parts of you that are, um, like it'll take the parts of you that are good and find the one little chink in it and then just on that and tear on that and that's what it'll use to overthrow you so like with Sam he's not going to be this mighty warrior leading you know creating a conquering empire he's going to you know do this all these great things for Mordor and then become overcome with that and with Galadriel because she is so much mightier and more powerful than Sam um, she knows that there is that risk that she could do this, and so that's why she rejects it. Yeah. And in oh. that moment, that's when she overcomes the final trial.
1: Yeah. I was like, the One Ring is sort of portrayed in, in the books and the movies that, like, it can tempt anyone. Like, yes. literally yeah, anyone, yeah, yeah. except for whoever except or whatever for Tom Bombadil is. <laughs> so this is where the idea is, like, even the greatest <laughs> or, like, most untouched by evil characters the ring can get a hold of. Um, and so sort of just showing its power to corrupt. Yeah, So it's not like... These characters are secretly evil. It's like, oh, these characters are actually purely good. It's just the power of the ring is so great. I do also like going on the Tom Bombadil. Oh boy, that's a long rabbit. I I know it's a long rabbit trail,
2: but I just, I do like the portrayal of Tom Bombadil. That it's not like, it's not that Tom is so good and pure that the ring can't find anything. It's just that it's kind of like the ring. Observes Tom Bombadil and is just confused. <laughs> like, it's not that, oh, he's so mighty. It's just the ring is just like, I'd have, much like most
1: of the Tolkien fan base,
2: just cannot figure out just what the frick Tom Bombadil is. I always is. heard it that What is
1: his deal? <laughs> the ring tempts you with, like, what sort of life you want. And, like, Tom Bombadil had the perfect yeah, yeah. life already. He yeah, had yeah. the perfect life he wanted. And so, he i just, think like, that's the ring can't offer him anything. Definitely
2: so. a part of it, but it's, it's also that like <laughs> he's also confused, yes. yeah, yeah i think i i like i kind of like the interpretation of like the ring because it's not just that um i know in the books it talks about like it's not that tom has power over the ring it's that the ring has no power over tom mm-hmm, yeah but at the same time tom just messes with the ring like performs he. Like a magic trick yeah he now. performs a magic trick with it he makes the ring invisible <laughs> like he does all this and it's just like Oh, that was neat and just tips it back to Frodo and I just I kind of in my head um, like the idea that uh, the ring like part of the reason the ring doesn't get a grip on Tom is that it's just so overcome with confusion that it can't even stop for a moment
1: to try and like tempt him or whatever tempt yeah. him or
2: do anything with him but um, again that's also a lot of it's my own interpretation so I'm not saying that's anywhere like
1: necessarily has a lot of textual basis it's just that yeah tom bombadil is tom bombadil um is now a good time to talk about what we think of gladrill's overall portrayal in the show yeah we can I believe yeah, behind the scenes just for the audience yeah, like can, matt has been more positive on it and i've been sort of negative. more negative on it yeah. and phil i don't know where phil stands but maybe he'll tell us well yeah but, i um, yeah should i start off by my go. reasons sure. i don't like it sure, sure, yeah. um so yeah so I'll say that in the books, Gladry is there's this line that in the Silmarillion that Gladriel is said to be, uh, she has man strength, was like one of her nicknames growing up. Um, so she's a character who's clearly like very physically strong. Um, but despite that, in the first age, she's portrayed as, she lives in a, like, um, in a hidden kingdom for most of the first age. And she stays there for most of the time learns from a like a wizard lady she's a maya, a maya sort of like a um gandalf and the rest of the characters um and this character so is probably more like powerful a, than gandalf probably maybe even more powerful but um a character who is a very much a magic user malian also has a daughter luthien very important character in the Silmarillion. also <laughs> a very important <laughs> magic user and luthien actually is portrayed in several conflicts all of which she doesn't physically fight people she uses magic as, like, a, a extension of who she is. Um, and it very much seems like Galadriel and Luthien are, like, sort of related a lot in a lot of ways. Um, and Galadriel does take part in more conflicts in the Second Age, but it's never described her as, like, physically fighting people or holding a sword. She's never, like, described as holding a sword. Um, and the conflicts we do know that she takes part in, um, that she's described doing explicit things. They're always, like, magical things. So whenever the Rohirrim, there's, like, a, the Rohirrim first come from the north and save the White City at, at yeah. some point. And she sends, like, a mist over the field of battle so that they're hidden on their approach. Um, so it's, like, a magical thing. And then there's another part where she's described as uh, they attack the fortress of Dolgordur, actually, at the same point as the, the the return of the king is ending. They attack Dolgordur, which is where Sauron was earlier. Not really important. But she, like, throws down its walls through, like, magic. Um, so Gladreal is, like, this, clearly this, like, sorcerer lady. Um, and this show has very much made her this, like, warrior woman physically strong character and like um i guess like i'm not really feeling it like and i and i won't like pretend like part of my reasons for not liking it is that this character just feels so much like stuff from other shows that are coming out like captain marvel she hulk um even Rey from the star wars franchise they all just sort of have this like sort of mary sue vibe where they're like a strong woman who can beat up all the guys and doesn't have a lot of like depth to their character and doesn't have like a lot of expressive and no real like character flaws um, except for maybe like a too competitive drive um, and I guess like it just doesn't feel at all like the Glodriel that I read about in Lord of the Rings um, and don't feel like it's really like pulling things out from the first or second age Glodriel either so that's why I'm not a huge fan of the Glodriel portrayal in the Lord of the Rings or the Rings of Power.
0: Yeah. so you guys have any thoughts or rebuttals on that I, I have... I'll go first oh, okay. real quick just just get the word in <laughs> um, so I guess just from a pure like character standpoint um, I thought that from the beginning she definitely had some like cold qualities and it seemed almost like that her I like her acting was off a bit. Um, like, she was trying too hard to be, like, angry about something. Um, just, and maybe that's what they were trying to do, which very well could have been.
1: I, I don't um, like to, like... I don't know what actors are supposed to be acting like, so I'm not, like, saying the actor did a bad job. Like, maybe she was just supposed to be cool the whole time. I'm just saying oh, yeah, it's a yeah, yeah, character no, just, I have a problem yeah.
0: Sorry. No, I get, I get that. Um, but I guess something that hasn't bothered me as much as it's bothered other people is... Um, I guess the fact about, like, there are quite a few, like, female leaders in the show that seem to be, like, focused on and while, like, the men are kind of, like, seen as sometimes being incompetent. And I haven't, for me, like, <laughs> I, haven't really- I haven't noticed that, but that's maybe because I came into the show not reading like not really focusing a whole lot on what other people are going to like be like oh this is what's going to happen or even that I haven't looked at like people's reviews saying oh like these like it's these guys are looking like they're garbage and can't do anything and I'm like I can't yeah, I really noticed that but I guess and then going off of that um I mean I guess Something else. I just I thought it was
1: fine that the one male leader is like how and it turns out to be smart. well I was gonna say
2: there's a couple just to bounce off of that real fast,
1: the only two
2: now <laughs> original characters um that are like leadership characters, um, you have Bronwyn and you have uh the Hobbit leader. And so like all the other like female leaders in the story are which is really the only two I can really think of are uh you have Galadriel and you have Miriel Those are both Tolkien original characters. Mm-hmm. You have Disa but she's still more of an advisor character. Um and even her like <laughs> the one character trope that where she really kinda gets like more intimidating is Kind of drawn from Lady Macbeth, like right at the end where she's just like, "Hey, honey, have you considered treason?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but yeah. Other than that, like,
1: and Tolkien writes like female leaders. Oh, yeah. He writes like very I mean, strong Luthien, female leaders. I saw something recently pointed out where
2: in Baron and Luthien. Baron basically does nothing. <laughs> yep, pretty like, much. he's just along for the ride, <laughs> while all these elves are like, "I will do everything with magic." <laughs>
1: there was a there was a meme that was like, all the other fantasy writers were like, "Oh, the princess is in the castle. Like, the man's got <laughs> save her. and then it's like Luthia's like, "Hey, where's my man?" <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. literally, <laughs> piece I'm gonna turn the you into a werewolf, right? So, um, um, I think. Well, are you done? Phil? Yeah, yeah. I we should make sure you're passionate yeah, mean. about the. Oh like, uh,
0: well, I mean, I mean that was just. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really something that stood out to me, and um, there are a lot of other complaints people have about the show that didn't really stick out to me, um, maybe because I wasn't looking for them, um, I mean, people found, kind of, like, I kind of feel like it's, a lot of people that found problems with, like, some of the way the thing was written, like, they were, like, thinking, oh, this is, like, clearly standing out, and a reason for them not liking the show, and I... I could see some things like you know people chanting, oh you know all hail King of the Southlands or yeah. like you know all like something about the sea, right? Or, like the uh, the sea is always <laughs> sea right. Is Those two kind of things are, we're a little bit cheesy, but <laughs> I guess at the end... I'm
1: good. <laughs> There's a storm in me. <laughs> at the end of it, like,
0: um, I don't know, like I guess something that I've really been focusing on, I think something Mark was kind of, um, trying to think about more with Gladriel is you know, how is it relating to Tolkien and his themes, even his worldview, and I wasn't really caring so much about whether, like, anybody was doing bad acting, because, I mean, well, I think that hitting, you know, Tolkien's themes really well would have, not saying they didn't, but they tried to cross too many parallels, so in that way, like, I feel like they could have, like, in this last episode, I think they did a great job of like making parallels and yet at the same time using their own script and just kind of writing and making it seem like, yeah, this is kind of very the Tolkien feel, which I thought like, yeah, maybe they like in a way like had just too much of a want to build up to this last episode of this season that they, that everything else just kind of seemed like it was a little bit stretched out and just too like, like, uh, Butter spread over too much bread. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. But anyways, that's kind of yeah. A takeaway. I think, I think yeah. that's
1: a great point, in that like they've seem to have done a good job of mixing like the some good Tolkien themes while yeah. maybe influencing some other elements. But like the the Muriel Elendil scene of this last episode was like something that felt straight out of Tolkien. To oh me, yeah. So. Oh yeah. But sorry, Matt. What are, you, what are your thoughts on Gladriel?
2: Um. So. As, as predicted, I'm not as down... Like, not as negative on it as you were. Um, one thing in just some reading and watching of various things that I've been doing over the last week that I found is that there are actually somewhere some letters where Tolkien either considered or described Galadriel, like, talked about her as having a lot of martial prowess. Hmm. So it's not a completely unoriginal idea that galadriel would be um skilled in traditional fighting methods um also they're elves so like yeah she was training with melian for um in uh menegroth for the whole first stage for like the 600 years of the first stage or whatever but you know this is also the place where you have beleg and turin is there for a while and um she's also an elf who is immortal and has lived for thousands of years it is likely that she has picked up some skill with the blade um but then i also um as far as her characterization goes i always read first and second age galadriel as um much more fiery and much more headstrong perhaps headstrong has an attitude hmm. um has that sort of um like she's not directly related to fan or she's like his half niece or something That's like that right. yeah. but she's still like because the the scene that really in my mind and maybe this is just the way i'm reading it but that kind of epitomizes her earliest uh sort of attitude and personality is like when Fanor asks her for a hair she says no and maybe I'm just reading into this but I always kind of pictured that scene as him asking and her not like gently turning him away but like being very much his equal in that same kind of like no you creep <laughs> Like, like I've always sort of pictured her as Maybe a little bit sassy. Very sassy, very intense, very much um, a a feisty, fiery personality um, that then uh, mellows out by the end of the Third Hmm. Age. So, like, in my mind, I feel like they nailed how I've always pictured Galadriel as being this, you know, very active person this like if you think about the family she comes from it's like uh like her brother or her dad was the one that decides to go and face morgoth one on uncle actually uncle okay yeah her uncle goes and fights morgoth one-on-one and like wounds him seven times and uh you know she's surrounded by like Thingol is a very headstrong person who was Melian's husband. So, like, I definitely... And also, she's an elf in The Silmarillion, so, of course, she's headstrong and <laughs> uh, has an attitude because, uh, as they, they say, like, all the people that have just read The Lord of the Rings, like, man, we should just put the elves in charge. Everything would be great. People that read The Silmarillion, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, oh, man. Uh, yeah, so, like, I I definitely... Because I have always interpreted the more mellowed out, calm, sort of ethereal elves as elves in their later stages of life, elves that have lived a very long time, elves that are waning in power, elves that have learned the lessons that Mm. being this strong martial prowess type of people does not end well. Because again... When you put the elves in charge of a large section of Middle-earth attempting to overthrow a Dark Lord, it ends with, we have to call on the Valar and destroy a subcontinent yeah. <laughs> to fix all the problems. So, yeah, I, I definitely... I, I think that it is a good characterization, in my opinion, that um, Galadriel has this kind of fire in her. Um, that she has the sort of attitude and feistiness that eventually mellows out and eventually she comes to learn is not the way she should be, and is part of her development and part of her um her final acceptance of the fact that she is not the like. Now that I'm thinking about it, when you said like she's the anti-Sauron, um, she definitely has... I think there's a a, lar- a part of her characterization that for a long time, she sort of considers herself to be at the top of whatever she is in or should be towards the top of whatever she is in. Mm. And so it's part of her characterization that at part of her journey is accepting that she does not always know best and she does not always have all the answers and that she um like i think it is that when she finally rejects the ring she says something about like i will go into the west and be diminished or something mm-hmm. like yeah. that and i think that's part of her acceptance and her final like oh yes i i can't solve all the problems um which i think in the show that's probably her most defining trait is that Galadriel thinks she can solve all the problems. And in doing so, she accidentally helps Sauron get a step up. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I I definitely I like the characterization of Galadriel because, again, I think that there's um, I think that's in her and that sort of attitude is in her. And again, going back to the hair thing, it mellows out, but it's still there. Because Gimli asks for a single hair, and she gives him three, partially to be generous, and I think a lot of people have correctly interpreted it as a middle finger to Fe- Feanor and say, like, yeah, I'm going to give this to a dwarf who isn't even one of... He's not even a man. He's not even a children of Iluvatar. He's just a dwarf, just because you're a creep, uncle. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, so I, I think that... Yeah, I think that attitude and that feistiness and stuff, I definitely, I I like it. I, I think it's, I don't, I don't have a problem with it, I guess.
1: maybe that's good. Yeah, yeah I, I agree to disagree because um, uh, it's not even like there's, uh, of course, in the main series, there's um, the Ro, Rovanian lady, Awen. Awen. yeah. Yeah, he was like a very martial lady, right, and like very much a bit of, uh, yeah, uh, like a, a fighter or whatever. But I think what I always liked about her character is, like, she has some serious character flaws and, like, is struggling with this, like, sense of helplessness. And it's just... um, I I guess, like, the character of Gladry, like, even if it's... I don't think that she's very much like Tolkien wrote her, but even if she wasn't, it's just not a character I find, like, I empathize with or I think is very interesting. Mm -hmm.
2: This is a complete tangent. And we can cut this out if we decide it's not worthwhile. But there's... (laughs) Have you ever seen... Like one of the early illustrations of Eowyn in the armor, that it's like whoever illustrated it put her in this, like, really skimpy, like, chainmail outfit. (laughs) But it's hilarious because in the book it describes her as wearing armor standard of the men of Rohan. Yeah. Which means that if you take this illustration, the men of <laughs> Rohan are all wearing these very feminine like <laughs> chainmail shirts and hilarious. stuff. Hilarious. But yeah. Yeah, like In she's ways. like she
1: rides with the men, she fights with the men, right? Like, yeah. So it's not like that Tolkien didn't write a character that yeah, could yeah. do that yeah. stuff. It's just I don't know. It doesn't seem like Galadriel. Yeah. I, mm-hmm.
2: I mean also again, Galadriel chooses of her own will to go with the people that are going to fight Morgoth. Like
1: I think that's another big moment. But she doesn't it? go to, she doesn't swear the Oath of Fainor, right? She doesn't so she doesn't swear the Oath of Fainor She's swearing to fight but, him. And she doesn't for the first age,
2: so. Um, but she does just the the fact that she decides to return to Middle earth. Like I think and again I could be completely misremembering this, but I want to say somewhere it says that like part of the reason she returned was because she was um she found the idea of her own kingdom, her own realm, very alluring. Um, and that definite like that sort of ambitious drive to her is definitely something that's present. And also even going and training with Melian, like
1: she wanted to set up her own kingdom. She right, wanted to set up her so... own kingdom,
2: but also Melian is aside from Morgoth and Sauron in Middle In Beleriand, in all of Middle-Earth at the time, Melian is... Even Sauron is debatable because her daughter Luthien literally beats the crap out of Um, Sauron. Melian is like the most powerful magical entity. And if you're going to be like, I want to learn magic so that I can, you know, establish my own land and be as powerful as possible, you're going to go
1: to Melian. Yeah. So i just i wish they had had her use more magic in the show like that's like too, that's a first step that would be easy to fix and also
2: yeah. there's a couple of reasons on a practical side where i don't think they've done that is that one um setting up magic is expensive and like i know this has the biggest budget of any tv show uh, ever, yeah <laughs> but it's still like you've got to figure out how she's going to use the magic what it's going to look like um it's kind of hard to make magic look
0: believable. I mean, given the fact also though that they did They've the done stranger magic. and they, stuff, they have yeah. done I really magic did, like a true. pretty
1: decent job. And they're, like, there's just like little thing. like so. Uh, um, so someone breaking down the first episode was like literally there's this part where like you know there's like the stone wall right, and she just like takes her fist and just like smashes it through the stone wall It's like. Hey, we could don't have been, know like, that wasn't magic. Set a spell or something. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, but how do you know
0: she wasn't? uh Using that magic it, it a fist. It wasn't the magic fist. Yeah, smoking, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that,
1: that magic fist shows up all the time. Quick <laughs> like wizard I, cast. I, here's somebody we have
0: hardly ever talked about actually. Sounds good. His... is Gilgalad. Um Dun and his, dun dun. And he has hardly been in the show. Um, true. I don't but really like
2: his person. I don't like his, his portrayal in the show.
0: His per- I gotta say. Yeah. I mean and people kind of like like Gilgalad always... is like one of the best
1: high elven kings, yeah. and, and the, sh- and the books kind of and they make him seem, him like, seem a like a tool jerk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: And I think that's kind of like what, another thing that people have a problem with, with: like, oh, there are these great women leaders, but where are the great men leaders? Besides, like, you kind of get Halbrand, Sauron. <laughs> so I,
2: mean, I think Adar, in a kind of twisted way, yeah, well, is portrayed as a, a good leader for the orcs. And like,
1: Ellendale's like, not Elendil.
2: the highest okay, leader, yes. but right. he the is the Hobbit
0: guy. see,
2: like, we, we make all the yeah. jokes about how the Hobbits are straight savage to each other, but to be fair, he doesn't take their wheels off and abandon them. He makes the choice to be like, I'm gonna go help them. Like, he, yeah, he makes the choice to go help them. He makes the, I think, there's the moment where everyone else is like, We're gonna leave these people behind because she's ruined our our secrecy and he's like no we're not going to leave them behind we will put them in the back we will have them be the most vulnerable because there needs to be consequences for these actions but we're not going to leave them behind so i like he to me seemed like a very level-headed and a very good leader um the dad hobbit seems like not that he's like a leader in the same way but he's like he seems to be he cares for his family. He uh, respects his wife.
1: He respects his kids. But he also, you know, he wants what's best for them. So, um, just like a quick, like, interesting point is that there are good male leaders and there are good female leaders. But all the leaders that are bad are only male in this show. You think of the way, like, Farazon even like well, King Duran, Gilgada is sort of a tool. Adar is like sort of, you know, shifty and evil at the same time. And Halbrand turns out to be Sauron, so maybe there is like something there. I don't know. I like, mean, there's clearly good. Yeah. Again, is straight from the books. That's straight true. from the that's books. True. Yeah. Um, um, Durin. But like Bronwyn is like I don't know. There's like good female leaders that are not from the books, and Gil Gallad is really a good leader in the books, and yeah. they sort of yeah. I agree with that. A I was, bit less. I was especially because he like, might
0: he might change maybe after the yeah. Race. I think so, I'm true. hoping they'll. change. I just think yeah, it's interesting
1: that they've really had him be a foil for Galadriel, and that's like not really yeah. at all yeah because um. I, I
0: think of him like it, maybe some people don't know this about like the last alliance like first scene but like he is in there actually yeah, 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 yeah. and you don't know that unless maybe you've seen like some of the you know behind actually, the, the scenes yeah. stuff yeah. but um uh, yeah, the, the other thing i was gonna say cool. is
1: that um um it's really interesting just about gil gallad is that the elves have a very, much more looser power structure in the books, like elves for their own kingdoms and they all sort of (laughs) swear fealty to a high lord but like it's not really like he's administering and this one is just like you know he goes around and is giving orders to like Celebrimbor and stuff and like he's giving passes to Valley nor and that's like very much a more strict hierarchical and almost like dictatorship um, than they are portrayed in the I
2: will say that in the second age like there's one kingdom of the high elves so like I think that like, in the first stage, like, I think Turgon is High King of the Noldor for a while. Yeah. Um. And for most of the time that he's High King, if not all the time that he's High King, he's living in a city in the mountains completely cut off from everybody else. But in the city, he's still the king, and he's still ruling. Absolutely, so, yeah. So I think that like in this situation, having him play a more active role, it's less that like, oh, he's ruling over all the elves more strictly, it's like he's ruling over all the elves more strictly because he's ruling the kingdom of the high of he's ruling his kingdom, and it is the only kingdom of high elves at well, the moment.
1: So aren't there some high elves at the Grey Havens and also? Well, yeah, these but are we our, don't see
2: him interact with those, and that okay, I think right. that's still a part of the whole kingdom of uh a or Aregion. I thought that was a region and that. Ariador is the region. Oregian is like the city and the kingdom got it. explicitly.
1: Um, but like we don't well, thought, see. Isn't Calibrembor city outside of Oregian? I'm, I'm a little confused because I always assumed that Arigian... Dude, We need to get some maps in here. That's what we need. Yeah. Um,
2: so Phil's got it. He's oh, yeah. Is Oregian even labeled on this? Uh,
1: I think it's up There's here Aridor. in the north. There's Orion. Um, so Greyhaven should be somewhere on the Grey coast. Havens are here. Nice. Anyways, so I feel like it, it should be close to there, it, as I recall. Yeah.
2: So. Um. Anyways, so you have, like, there are other elven kingdoms. There's, well, there's one other elven kingdom. <laughs> there's the the wood well, elves
1: and the wood elves, and yeah. Um. And, At this point, there's elves living in the Gray Havens too that we know yeah, about. Um, I always
2: kind of assumed the Gray Havens were sort of a part of the. Oh, greater... uh, maybe. Anyways,
1: whatever. Maybe I it need is, to get
2: uh, more uh, yeah. of the elven kingdom so, knowledge. So we have. We have these, um, we have these sort of kingdoms, explicit kingdoms. Um, I mean, you you have explicit kingdoms like you have Nargothrond and you have Doriath and you have uh, Gondolin, and you have whatever Fanor's sons are doing up in the north, spying on Morgoth. Um, but I think the reason that they're portraying him is more. Explicitly like ruling is just because he's ruling over his specific kingdom, yeah. less than he's just like, Oh, you must obey me because you are high elves and I am your king. It's like, No, you must obey me because you're the king of the place that I rule. So, oh, yeah. I, was, I was gonna say one more thing about um, uh, Elendil's daughter. I think they're setting her up to be the like flawed female character the most. Maybe. Because she seems to be going in. I think she's going to end up dying in the fall of Numenor because she seems to be very much connected to Arpharo's son.
1: It's possible.
0: We'll see where that goes. Yeah. I don't know. Yes, Overall, for this last episode, I think that it was pretty good. I mean, in my opinion, I liked it more than the other episodes so far. This was my favorite episode. Um, They definitely did a good job. And Uh, I think that maybe they had this they had, like, oh, we know what episode 8 is going to be. Yeah. And let's lead up to that. So maybe maybe that's why all the other episodes didn't seem that good. Um, that but might be, it definitely, definitely that, was, yeah. yeah.
2: That might be why they didn't show Arandir and Braywyn this episode. Because their story might be most... Like, last episode their story was done. You have the creation of Mordor. And you have this whole setup as they're basically there to make Halbrand look good. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, now that he doesn't look good anymore.
0: Yeah, so it'll be interesting them. what they do with them the next uh, the next season. Um, so, yeah, a lot of cool things to look forward to. And, hey, we thought maybe the fall of Numenor would be at yeah. of this free season, so we don't know when that's going to necessarily End happen. End of season three. But, that's my guess. Um, yeah, so hope you guys enjoyed this uh we are at least hopefully gonna do another episode kind of a wrap up and talk about some maybe some ideas about what the second season is going to be about and potential some behind the scenes content that won't be released on the podcast um but you guys have to stay tuned for that um so yeah this is the eighth and final episode of the first season and Hope that you uh, guys will stay tuned for the next one. Thanks for visiting the White City. Before you leave, please subscribe to our podcast and check us out at the thewhitecitypodcast.com. Consider supporting my movement on Facebook, Keeping the Rings of the Power Pure.